For all my listeners that live in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, I want to give a huge shout out to one of my all-time favorite car mechanics and longtime good friend, Glenn Moser. He is a supporter of this podcast and the owner-operator of Professional Auto, located at 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha, in Virginia Beach. Phone number is 757-962-0102. Not only is Glenn an extremely talented mechanic, but he is also a great American and a staunch supporter of our constitutional rights. My family and I relied on Glenn and Professional Auto for all of our vehicle needs when we lived in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Quality work at a fair price and service with a smile are what you will receive when you take your vehicle to Professional Auto. I encourage all my listeners there in the Hampton Roads area to look them up if your car needs work. Again, that is Professional Auto, 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and the phone number is 757-962-0102. Welcome to the Liberty, Leadership, and Lies with Larry Linton podcast, coming to you from the Goat Locker studio in Sevierville, Tennessee. Be sure and check us out and like us on Facebook and Instagram, and follow us on Telegram, as well as on the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. You can subscribe to notifications on the website to follow the blog there. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Again, that is larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Now, on to the episode. This week's topic is leadership. To be effective in standing in the arena trying to restore our republic, we need to encourage people to become servant leaders. If we look hard enough, we can find those that are already servant leaders needing our support. They're out there right now, those voices in the wilderness, calling for us to return to the sound principles of liberty that are enshrined in our Constitution. I count myself fortunate that I have been able to find some of them and collaborate with them. I'm genuinely excited to be attending the Tennessee Freedom Summit in a couple of weeks, where there will be quite a few of these people. If you have not looked up information about the summit yet, please do so. I have already been in contact with a few people that are going to be there. Some I've already worked with, as well as newfound partners in Liberty. It is my prayer that as iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend, we can sharpen each other at the summit to take a stand in the arena. You probably noticed that I use that phrase a lot, stand in the arena. If you're new to the podcast and are wondering why I use it, well, let me tell you why. It's from a speech titled, Citizenship in a Republic. Teddy Roosevelt gave it in France in 1910. Notice that a former president of the United States of America called our country a republic, not a democracy. Teddy Roosevelt was the 26th president of the United States from 1901 to 1909. While I was on active duty, it was one of my favorite assignments that I would give to sailors selected for advancement to chief petty officer. They would have to memorize a certain portion of that speech because it foreshadowed what they were about to embark upon for their initiation season prior to receiving their chief petty officer anchors. The part of the speech I would have them memorize is this. 
It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Shame on the man of cultivated taste who permits refinement to develop into fastidiousness that unfits him for doing the rough work of a workaday world. Among the free peoples who govern themselves, there is but a small field of usefulness open for the men of cloistered life who shrink from contact with their fellows. Still less room is there for those who deride the slight of what is done by those who actually bear the brunt of the day, nor yet for others who always profess that they would like to take action if only the conditions of life were not exactly what they actually are. The man who does nothing cuts the same sordid figure in the pages of history whether he be a cynic, fop, or voluptuary. There is little use for the being whose tepid soul knows nothing of great and generous emotion, of the high pride, the stern belief, the lofty enthusiasm of the men who quell the storm and ride the thunder. Well for these men if they succeed. Well also, though not so well, if they fail, given only that they have nobly ventured and have put forth all their health and strength. It is war-worn hotspur, spent with hard fighting, he of the many errors and valiant end over whose memory we love to linger, not over the memory of the young lord who, but for the vile guns, would have been a valiant soldier. That is just a small part of the much larger speech which has inspired me in many of my endeavors, more so in those where I experienced short-term failures. I know the struggle to restore our constitutional republic will be filled with many disappointments, but it is a necessary struggle. The apathy in our country is so accurately captured by the part of the speech that states, the man who does nothing cuts the same sordid figure in the pages of history, whether he be a cynic, a fop, or voluptuary. I do this. We do this. Because who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Restoring our republic is the highest achievement, and we need to dare greatly in the work to do so. We need to awaken our apathetic citizenry from its slumber and its detachment from governing that has led us to this point in our nation's history. Our nation has been lacking true servant leadership for far too long. In last week's episode, I pointed out the length of time certain elected officials on both sides of the aisle have been in office. Elected officials that have become wealthy, suckling at the teat of we, the American taxpayer. Did you catch the news last week about another long-time elected official and their real estate deal? So let's talk about Senator Dianne Feinstein, the senior senator from California. That's a position she's held since 1992. But that was not the beginning of her political career, though. Oh, no. She worked for the local government in San Francisco since the 1960s. 
Her first elected position started in 1969. She's now 88 years old and has been living off the sweat equity of taxpayers for more than 50 years. Her wealth was built off of our labors. And it's a lot of wealth, too. So much wealth that she recently listed her compound. That's not my words, but the real estate industry's words. Compound. I wish my house could be described as a compound. So her compound on Lake Tahoe has been listed for sale in the amount of $41 million. The compound is actually owned by an LLC tied to her investment banker husband's management firm. Isn't that convenient? Hiding the wealth she has taken from the taxpayers. How many bills in Congress has she sponsored, co-sponsored, or voted for that benefited her and her husband's investments for more than 50 years? Activity that if you and I were to engage in, insider trading, would land us in jail. Even if she saved every penny she made on a salary as a senator, she would have roughly 8 to $10 million. Her net worth a couple of years ago was reported as nearly $60 million. That can't be accurate, especially if just one of her many properties is about to sell for more than $40 million. Digging into her mandatory financial disclosures can be quite enlightening both for the fact that she has accumulated a lot of wealth during her service as a senator and the fact that the rules are written that elected officials only have to report a range of wealth. Of course, these rules, again, are written by the legislative body she serves in. So, they have to list their wealth in ranges, and all of her reports list only the bottom end of the range. That's quite convenient too, don't you think? I would like to encourage everybody to look up the financial disclosures of our elected representatives, especially those that have been in government office for a long period of time. Though the financial disclosures available to the public are not very clear, they do point to amassing wealth that far exceeds the salaries they earn, those salaries that are paid for by our sweat equity. While I was looking up the longest-serving Republican in Congress on the House.gov website, it wasn't very enlightening. It leads to more questions than answers. The longest-serving Republican is a Mr. Don Young of the state of Alaska. He has been in the House of Representatives since 1973, almost as long as I've been alive. That isn't all, though. He started his political public government life as a mayor of a city beginning in 1964. So, for the past 57 years... This guy's source of income has been us, the taxpayers. First of his city, then of the state, and now the entire country. This dude is the longest serving member of Congress. That's really, really sad. Is he just afraid he can't make it in the private sector? That he keeps running for office and keeps getting elected? Or is he just comfortable living off the taxpayer sweat equity and not having to take any risks. So it's plain to see that these people of every political party are really like vampires. They live off the lifeblood that is taxpayer money. Then they shape the rules that govern their own financial gain. And like vampires, ethics 
are garlic. They avoid them at all costs. Passing legislation that contains more loopholes for elected officials than the tax codes do for their wealthy donors. Heck, let's even look at the avowed socialist Bernie Sanders. How much is he worth? While he's not wealthy compared to the other members of Congress, he's still a millionaire. Does that make any sense? Millionaire? Socialist? Well, it does because that's his vision for the entire country. Socialism for me and you. Millions in wealth for him. Do these people look like servant leaders? Leading through serving others? Are they serving themselves? While they decry capitalism and advocate socialism, they have definitely utilized capitalism to enrich themselves. They will say out of one side of their mouths that the system is rigged against the little guy, while out of the other side of their mouths, they are sucking our sweat equity to increase their personal wealth. They will say things in advocating for socialism like, hey, we're the richest country in the world. We can do this. We can afford to do these things. Well, here's a news flash for you. We became the richest country in the world because we didn't do those stupid socialist things. Well, once we implement them, guess what? We'll rival Venezuela or the many other countries that implemented socialism and failed. By transforming our constitutional republic into a socialist democracy, they have already taken advantage of a system to benefit themselves. And then they want to now deny that system to the rest of the citizens. All the while staying in power for many generations. Term limits are desperately needed. We also need to implement a salary for politicians that is commensurate with a position of volunteer work. They volunteered to do that. Before we go on, I'd like to pause for a message from a supporter of this podcast. Litton Leadership and Management Consulting is a veteran-owned and operated consulting company based out of Sevierville, Tennessee, with a local, national, and global reach. At Linton Leadership and Management Consulting, we provide leadership, human performance, and management consulting services, as well as coaching to companies of any size on methods to improve performance in their organizations. One-on-one coaching and mentoring is available to all individuals at any level of your organization. Additionally, large and small group seminars can be conducted. In these seminars, information on leadership tactics and techniques is shared, best practices discussed, and team building exercises are conducted all of which serve to highlight methods on ways to increase the team's and the individual's performance. You can email the show to get the conversation started on exploring ways that we can work together to improve your team's performance. A significant discount will be offered to any Sevier County, Tennessee businesses. Back to leadership. What type of leadership should we be looking for from our elected representatives? I've discussed servant leadership in the past, that style, and I believe this is the type of leader we should be electing to public office. If you're unfamiliar with the term or the style, we can break it down. But we'll focus on secular servant leadership in this episode. The term servant leader, or the actual concept of servant leadership, is millennia old. But it rose in popularity when Robert Greenleaf published an essay back in the 70s titled The Servant as Leader. And servant leadership represented a huge departure from the norm in the business world. 
A servant leader's focus was shifted from the organization, be it business or government or community, to those of the employees or members of those organizations. And intuitively, it makes sense. By serving the needs of the members of the organization, it makes them all more productive, more bought into the organization and its purpose. So the servant leader serves the people, while a leader serves the organization, or more likely themselves. The servant leader prioritizes the needs of the people and shares their position of power with them. And Mr. Greenleaf in his essay asks some great foundational questions regarding this concept. So let's compare those foundational questions to what has become of the people in government at all levels, the local, state, and federal. Some foundational questions to understand if a leader is a servant leader or not are these. The first one, do those served grow as persons? As we look around our great republic right now, are the people growing as persons? Are we being divided into our separate camps and being taught to hate or be envious of those in other groups? Are we Americans or hyphenated Americans of a great many different camps? Another great Teddy Roosevelt quote is this. We can have no 50-50 allegiances in this country. Either a man is an American and nothing else, or he is not an American at all. Imagine him or any other politician saying that today. The rage mob will be out for their head, or they would be canceled in a heartbeat. Anything to do with that leader, statues or buildings in their honor, will be torn down. As a matter of fact, the statue of Teddy Roosevelt in front of the American Museum of Natural History has already been removed because it symbolizes colonial expression and racial discrimination. Just when you think the woke crowd has reached peak levels of absurdity, they will tell you to, hey, hold my beer, right? In answering this question, I think the answer is obvious. Our current crop of elected officials are not servant leaders in this aspect. Our citizens are not growing, but retreating into their cliques or special protected groups. As a matter of fact, I was in an intense discussion about critical race theory just the other day on social media. And I was called a colonizer because I believe that people should be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Can you imagine this misguided young man going up to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and calling him a colonizer? What do you think the good doctor would have thought about that? Or those around Dr. King being called colonizers? I believe they would all laugh at the young man until they realized he was actually serious. Then they would have to look at him like he had a third eye growing out of his forehead. Yet the youth of our country are taught this and firmly believe this. This young man, and many others out there like him, really believe this tripe. Well, the back and forth on this topic became very interesting on social media. And then he really took offense and ended up blocking me when I asked it if he was teaching his very young daughter. Now, I went and searched his social media profile, and they're both Caucasian. I asked him if he was teaching her that she is an oppressor based upon her skin color, and that there's nothing that she can do about it. That she needs to be ashamed because our creator made them both Caucasian instead of some other race. I asked him, did he teach her that she is a beneficiary of colonization and that made her a colonizer just like he labeled me? Well, that's when he picked up his ball and huffed off the playground, so to speak. 
None of the people negatively commenting on the topic acknowledged that every race on this planet has been a slave to another race, even their own race in some cases, during the course of human history. But being taught to be ashamed of your race, of yourself, sows division, which is exactly what the usurpers want. This is a result of the politicians, the media, and pundits all over the place teaching people to either be ashamed of their race or that they are either an oppressor or an oppressed person determined by the color of their skin. That the color of their skin affects every human interaction they engage in. Well, the good Lord determined my skin color and I'm not questioning his plan for me. Moving on though, another foundational question for secular servant leaders is this. Do the people while being served, become healthier, wealthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? While we as a nation have become healthier and wealthier, this has happened despite not having true servant leaders in public office. They, the usurpers, have definitely become wealthier, much as we talked about earlier, and not because of their hard work, but because of the hard work of we, the taxpayers. Have we become wiser? Well, just look at the state of public, you know, government schools in our nation today. Once we injected federal government control into the equation of educating our children, we started losing our advantage on the world stage. So on the wiser part of that question, I believe the answer is a big no. No matter how much money, how much of our sweat equity we throw at the problem, it will never be enough as long as the government is involved. What about the freer part of that question? Have we become freer under the quote-unquote leadership of our elected officials? Well, that answer is painfully obvious. Government has injected itself into every aspect of our lives, mostly through the taxes and fees we have to pay in order to exercise our freedoms, but we are definitely not freer now than we were at the founding of our republic. Are we more likely to become servants ourselves? Well, our apathy, our lack of involvement with the usurpers, has led our citizens to turn their backs on government in the hopes of just being left alone. The usurpers are most definitely not the servant leaders our founding fathers envisioned as serving the people. They serve themselves first and foremost. Every law they pass must be seen through the lens of their personal power and influence first, never considering the electorate they were elected to serve. How about the characteristics or character traits of servant leadership? Let's see if they meet some of them. One of the great character traits of a servant leader is that of stewardship. The servant leader serves as a true steward of the resources of those they serve. Well, let me ask you, how's that $28 trillion in debt feeling right now? And it's growing rapidly, too. In 1960, our national debt-to-GDP ratio was a little over 50%. And it tapered off to nearly 35% of GDP in 1980. By 2000, it was back up to more than 50%. In fact, debt was 57% of GDP in 2000. And right now... Our debt is an astounding 128% of our GDP, meaning we cannot pay it off, 
forever. It is generational debt. It is generational bondage. Is that being a good steward of our resources? Well, the elected leaders are definitely not good stewards of our resources. On this trait, they fail miserably. Another character trait is empathy. A servant leader recognizes and understands the feelings and emotions of their team. In the case of elected officials, their team is their constituents. The vast majority of usurpers in state and federal government only empathize with people or positions that will grow or solidify their position of power, especially if it involves pitting us against each other, the people they don't have empathy with. Another character trait of a servant leader is the ability to listen. Do you think the usurpers listen to us? Spending bills in Congress tell us that is a big no. We do not want, nor can we afford, the astronomical amount of debt the new aristocracy is putting on our backs. We do not want restrictions on our constitutionally protected God-given rights. They will attack any election integrity bill that is proposed that requires voter ID, despite a vast majority of Americans wanting that to ensure the integrity of our future elections, to ensure that their vote counts. Again, the usurpers only listen to a very vocal minority to support their grasp on power. Another character trait of a true servant leader is awareness. A servant leader is aware of their shortcomings, and in serving, they seek to overcome them to ensure those they serve, us, are made wiser. Our usurpers are ignorant, whether it be willfully or otherwise, of their shortcomings. They lack self-awareness, all in their blind pursuit of power. Servant leaders have a sincere interest in fostering the emotional and spiritual well-being of their followers. Our elected officials want nothing of the kind. Peaceful protests all over the country, division among the electorate that is spurred on by the aristocracy, that's what they desire. After all, if we're focused on the differences between ourselves, dividing ourselves into these little camps, we will not be paying attention to the generational theft of our liberty these politicians are engaged in. They promote divisive curriculum in the classrooms of our children, like Wit and Wisdom or the 1619 Project or Critical Race Theory among a multitude of different curriculums. And there are even church leaders and major church denominations all over the country that embrace the very philosophies, such as critical race theory, that are antithetical to the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How far have we fallen in this country, both secularly and spiritually? They want our children in government schools to learn that our country was founded purely because of slavery, or that every interaction between human beings is based upon the color of their skins. In other words, they want to indoctrinate our children on becoming and staying divided. Like Abraham Lincoln stated, a house divided against itself cannot stand. How true that is manifesting itself once again. Under the guise of educating our children, they are being taught to hate, distrust their neighbors, as well as being ashamed of their own race. It's quite the opposite of servant leadership. 
Two of the most important character traits of secular servant leadership are community building and the commitment to the growth of others. When was the last time the usurpers at the state or federal level truly worked at bringing us all together for the common purpose of being Americans? When did they strive to unite us as citizens in a republic, the constitutional republic of the United States of America? Some of them will make calls to do so, but they always caveat it with their speeches, but most importantly in their actions. Rarely do they call us together in words and deeds. They'll be on the television one day calling for community building, while behind the scenes working on legislation that does quite the opposite. Or they'll be on television calling half of the population, the ones that don't agree with them or share their beliefs, some sort of derogatory name. And this is both major political parties too, not just one. Now we've had two people that were seeking the office of the President of the United States imply that they would use nuclear weapons on the citizens of this country. Well, to clarify that, or make it more clear, one said that while he was campaigning. That was the guy that imitates the flatulent mountain gorilla, Eric Swalwell. And the other actually said that while currently serving as the President of the United States. Is that community building? Nope. They will tell you outright lies. Lies about the Constitution. Lies about their proposals. Lies about their intention. And it brings to mind uh, part of this week's message by my pastor. And he stated, It is not just the hearing of God's Word, but the doing of God's Word that makes the difference. We can apply that to people in public office. When they say they are servant leaders, it is not just the speaking of servant leadership, it is the doing of servant leadership that makes the difference. For most of them, once they get elected, they turn away from their campaign promises of servant leadership to selfish leadership. When it comes to the growth of their followers, us, the citizens, what have the usurpers been growing since they got into elected office? Is it our health? While we are healthier, once again, it is despite their involvement. Advances in the sciences of diet and exercise have led to healthier lives. But through their involvement in the healthcare industry, they, the usurpers in government, have caused prices to skyrocket, creating more debt bondage. If you believe the hype that there are a bunch of greedy doctors out there, you're sadly mistaken. Government regulations of the medical industry, the medical fields, and the health insurance industry drives prices up. So they kill two birds with one stone there. Health and wealth are both decreased for the electorate, us, the followers, merely by government inserting itself into the equation. No, the only thing that government is growing is our debt and dependence on government. Before we close the show, I'd like to leave you with this from God's Word. It's Romans 12.8. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. There are true servant leaders among us. It is these people we should stand behind and encourage to enter the arena. 
servant leaders that truly possess empathy with us, their followers, the electorate. Servant leaders that actually listen to us. Servant leaders that are not unaware of their shortcomings and strive to overcome them with the shared position of authority with the electorate. Servant leaders that are dedicated to the healing of our nation and leading us back to the foundational principles of the Constitutional Republic. Servant leaders that will be good stewards of the electorate's resources. Servant leaders that will rebuild our sense of community and growing the electorate's position of responsibility for their own self-governance. All of the characteristics or servant leader traits that many of the usurpers in our state capitals and our nation's capital completely lack. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. Reveille, it's time to wake up.